Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. How are you today? And good morning to those of you who are listening on our radio station and those of you listening and watching online on our on our, our, our podcast and to our Mecca campus. We're so great, grateful to have all of you with us today. And what an amazing time this is in the life of the church. Yes, I know I say that every week. But it is because the Bible tells us that the harvest fields are riper today than they've ever been in history. Because there are a lot of people who need to know Jesus Christ. And there are more unsaved and unchurched per capita in our midst today than there's ever been since the history of life began. Did you know that? And I know this. Before I knew the Lord, I didn't know much of anything. I thought I did, but I really didn't. And I noticed that as I began to go through this thing we call Christianity and began to experience new things, I found that things evolved for me. I remember the first few times I tried to pray. I was disappointed in my prayers. I was disappointed in the way I did it. I was disappointed in the length of it. And to tell you the truth, I didn't really even know what to say. And I think sometimes that in our Christian life, we approach God, but we don't really know what to say. We're not sure we understand how to talk to him. Some of us are outgoing. Uh, some of us are uh, cholerics or sanguines, and we, we can talk to people and don't know a stranger. I've always been gifted in that I really didn't struggle to talk to people. But even so, sometimes I've struggled to talk to God. Has anybody ever been there where you didn't really know how to communicate with God? In our subject series today, as we continue to look at the life of Elijah living outside your comfort zone, we're going to talk today about prayer. In fact, serving through your prayer. And you're going to find today that unless you pray and communicate with God, you really can't serve Him at least not well. I'm not sure you considered that before. Communication with God through prayer is commanded, demanded, and ultimately completely necessary. And I have found that the way we communicate with people and with each other is different than the way we communicate with God. And maybe it needs to be to a point. But God does not expect you 
to become ultra-formal when you speak to Him, but completely informal when you talk to those around you. God wants you to talk to Him just like you talk to them, with that ease. Now, I don't think it's probably a good idea to speak and communicate disrespectfully toward God like we do to others once in a while. Yet, God does expect us to communicate. And I was looking through the Scripture, and I found that oftentimes people were angry with God in the Scripture. And their communication with Him showed, even though the Bible doesn't, you know, just like a text, you can't really tell the demeanor of somebody. That's why sometimes, you know, texting is dangerous, isn't it, in our communication? We read things into it or don't see things that are intended sometimes. And I think the same is true in the Scripture. You can't really tell sometimes, and sometimes you can. But people were angry. They were distraught. They were questioning all of the things we are. And still God answered. And so if you have your Bibles today, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17 and scroll down to verse 17 of chapter 17. And here we will find what happens with the Shunammite woman and Elijah, who we talked about at the beginning of the this, this service last week. And you'll remember that this woman uh, was asked by Elijah to make a cake out of the little bit of oil and a little bit of flour that she had left to give him his first, and then she could use whatever was left to go feed her and her son. She already told him, look, bud, I only have enough to make a cake for myself and my son, and then after that we die because there's nothing left. And Elijah said, okay, I get that, but make me a little cake first and bring it to me so I can eat it, and then... You go ahead and make something for you and your son. And most of us would have said, wait a minute. But what does a woman do? She does it. And we find that God, because of her obedience, every time she went to the jar, it had oil. Every time she went to the crock, it had flour. We're going to talk about that again here in a little bit. But God always provided every time she went. And here now we find, in chapter, er, chapter 17, verse 17, Sometime later, the woman, or the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. And she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Wow. I don't sense anything but hostility here. What do you have against me, man of God? You hear that? Did you come to remind me of my sin and then kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this woman I am staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Now this is stunning. I consider myself to be a man of God. He's called me into his service. He's called me to be one of his poimen in the Greek his pastor, and he's gifted me as such. 
And I have found that some of the gifts that he has given me, I never had until I became a pastor. I had some natural abilities, but God has gifted me. And never have I stretched out onto someone like this and said, let their life return. Yet Elijah does. And in verse 22, we hear this. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house, and he gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. I suspect the woman handed this boy off to Elijah with a certain attitude went downstairs and sulked, felt sorry for herself, disdain and anger toward God, and maybe even toward Elijah. I don't think she had any belief at all that the circumstances would change. And now, what happens? And the woman says to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Interesting. Friends, this message teaches us how to serve through prayer and what that actually looks like. And it teaches us that we can go deeper when we put faith and prayer into action. Did you grasp that? Putting your faith and prayer into action. Do you consider yourself to be a man and or woman of God? And I say and or because as a couple you are both. Do you consider yourself to be? And I realized here that this passage and this message are designed to help us realize that we must communicate with God and not with the problem. Now, friends, I really need you to pay attention to this because I'm not sure we do this. I know from experience that I've communicated with the problem more than I have with God at times. Anybody been there? And so now we also see how strong Elijah's faith was in the midst of the doubt that is all around him. I mean, he's living in this woman's house, right? God sent him there. He asked an impossible thing of her, which he's not sure what she's going to say, but she does do it. And now he's living up in this, you know, this little room, and the thanks that she gets for taking him in is the son is dead. I mean, that's, that's how she sees it. I think Elijah is like, whoa. I don't think God told him, by the way, in a little while, the boy's going to die, and she's going to bring him up to you, and, you know, he, he didn't tell him that. Not that I can find. So can you imagine, opens up the door, and there she is, holding this child who is clearly dead. What was running through his mind? I'm not sure he felt all that confident as a man of God at that moment. 
And he could have communicated with the problem. He could have said, I'm sorry, but that's just the way things are. And most of us would have will again. The doubt that she has exudes from her. It surrounds him. It overtakes him. Maybe even consumed him. I don't believe he has any idea what to make of this. But he did the only thing he knows to do. Now, friends, I remember when I was growing up, my grandfather on my dad's side, his name was Alan, and he absolutely adored me. I mean, I was his, his first grandchild, uh, and he, he, he loved spending time with me. My... Uh, My dad and my mom, I was adopted. Many of you already know that. I was adopted at birth, but they had tried and tried and tried to have children and did not. And so adoption was the only way that they could have children. And, and that, that man took me in as his own regardless and loved me beyond measure. And I, I wish I had him around today because I would tell him what that meant to me. You know, as kids, we don't necessarily communicate, you know, some things. I loved him, sure, but I, I don't know that I understood the depth of what he, what he had done and how he treated me. And in any case, he loved being with me all the time, and he, and he would talk to me. He would ask me lots of questions. He would, he would teach me about life. And of course, I thought he was crazy about some stuff, you know. But he always wondered how I was doing and how I was feeling and what I was thinking. And so he would always get me whenever he could. And I remember when my, when my adoptive mother uh, passed away uh, when I was four years old and my dad remarried a year or so, a year and a half later, and moved us away from my grandparents, both sets. And I felt all alone. My grandfather went out of his way to try to get me, whenever he could, to take me off that farm in the Warsaw area and bring me back to their house in South Bend into familiar surroundings for me. And as a child, I couldn't wait to get back there. And he would talk to me about anything and everything. He always wanted to know why I did things and why I didn't do them. When I would get in trouble, my dad would always tell him, get on the phone and tell him all the bad things I did. And I always knew that whenever I had time to spend with Grandpa, he was going to go through every last one of them and ask me why I did it. Don't you hate that? You got to answer for it twice now. But it wasn't that he wanted to get me in trouble or, or punish me. He always wanted to try to understand why I did what I did. How it made me feel and how I dealt with it. He wanted to know if I was a, a young man of good character who dealt with it properly and rightly. He always wanted me to tell him about my problems, my concerns, and even those things that made me happy. And he used to ask me what I planned to do in the future and in life. He would even ask me about my faith. You see, my grandfather grew up in a Protestant church, and when he married my grandmother, she converted him to Roman Catholicism. And my grandfather had a lot of knowledge about both sides of things. And it was through him that I realized there's really not that much difference. 
just some liturgical things and a few belief systems. But he had a relationship with the Lord. Probably deeper than anybody else I'd ever known. Now, I would suggest and say that I didn't understand his relationship with the Lord all that well because he didn't talk about his as much as he told me how I should be with it. And I, and I began to think, I'll bet most of you can understand this. You, you've possibly had somebody in your life that communicated with you, or you could communicate with them like that. They were special to you. And I'm also conscious of the fact that some of you have never had anyone that you could talk to like that. And maybe others are somewhere in between. Or maybe it's that you don't communicate with others well. Some of you are good communicators, others not so much. How many of you in here would you say uh, kind of keep everything within and don't necessarily talk to people? Yeah. You know it, but you don't necessarily want to admit it. That's why you're not going like this here. You're going. Yeah. Do you realize that this is really all God wants from you? To communicate, to know you, to talk to you, have you know him? to be involved in your life. Do you, how many of you know God wants to do that with you? Do you know how much God cares for you? Do you know how much he wants to know what you think and feel? Yes, I know that God already knows those things. But he wants you to communicate those things to him. You see, he already knows who you are. He also knows the plans he has for you. He knows who he wants you to be. He knows what's best for you. And he wants you to communicate those things to him so that he can indeed communicate back to you. Because what we tend to do is say, well, God already knows those things, so I don't need to talk to him because he already knows them anyway. But when you don't communicate with God and lay those things out anyway, then you're not listening because you think he already knows everything. But now you're not letting him communicate with you either. And we've all been there a time or two. It started with Adam, <laughs> didn't it? When God came into the garden, instead of running up to daddy, what did Adam do? Ran and hid, because he knew what he'd done was wrong. And I, I've hidden from God whether I've done wrong or I haven't. Sometimes I'm just not in the mood to talk to him. Anybody? Sometimes I think he's not going to understand anyway. But more to the point, I have a pretty good idea that he's not going to do what I'm going to ask him. And oftentimes I just think I just want to do it myself. Do you realize that all prayer really is is communicating with God? That's all it is. It's just communication with God and inviting Him into your life on a constant basis. That's what it is. Unfortunately, most people only communicate with God this way when they need or want something from Him. In 
And it might be something or probably is something that they can't get anywhere else. And don't tell me nobody in here has ever done that. I believe that sometimes as Christians, we won't communicate with God all week long, and then something will happen, and then all of a sudden, we've got to communicate with God. Well, God, you know, you, you just got to really help me with this. And because you haven't been communicating with Him, you wonder if He's listening, or if that He cares to listen, or will even care about what you're saying. Don't tell me that doubt doesn't creep in, because I know it does. I know it does. The Bible is clearer than it will. It's like when you try to communicate with someone who used to be a good friend, but you haven't seen him for years. The communication, when you finally see him, changes, doesn't it? Yeah. And they become an acquaintance more than a friend. And I think God sometimes, for Christians, I'm not talking about the unsaved. I'm talking about believers. I think sometimes God is an acquaintance, not our friend. But that was never his intention never his design, and it was never his doing. You know who did it, don't you? Today's message deals with our communication with God. And so let's talk about that. You have to communicate with God and not the problem. I have to start there because that's where Elijah's passage starts. We have become, I think, a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of people. Even Christians have done it. What I mean is, oftentimes, after we see where God has provided and even exceeded our needs, well, other challenges are lurking right around the corner. And then all of a sudden, they, they come around the corner, and there they are, and we forget all about all of the victories and the amazing things that God did before, and all of a sudden, all we can see is this new problem. How accurate am I? And we get so engulfed in the problem, we forget what we just came through or what God did or how he brought us through it. And the widow in our passage saw this incredible miracle, you know. But then all of a sudden she seems to forget about it. Now, several days ago, uh, you know, I like to cook. And so, uh, and invariably, you know, I, I'm, I don't have a real, real clue Beth gets on me all the time because uh, I go to the store, and I, if there's something I have to make, I buy all the ingredients for it, not, and I don't go to our cupboards and look and see if we already have it already. <laughs> Anybody else have that problem? And you're, you're at the store, and you're thinking, okay, I may have it, I may not, but I better get one just to be sure, yeah? And next thing you know, you've got like five bottles, you know, of one thing or another. And so a few days ago, uh, I needed some sugar, and so I, I went to the, and I, and I pulled out the sugar container, and I used pretty much what was left in it. There was a little bit, but not much. And I knew, and I made a mental note to self, like we do, you know, probably need to get some sugar or go to the cupboard and see if we have some and fill that sugar container. But at the time I was cooking something, didn't have time, so I stuck it back in there just about the way it was. Yesterday, I needed a little, I mean, a little chili, and so I, I always put a little sugar in my chili, although you couldn't tell it, could you, Patty? Okay. But just because sometimes tomatoes can be, if they cook long enough, can get a little bitter. And that's how, in case you didn't know, a little sugar will take away some of that bitterness in sauces of tomato base. And so I did that, uh, and I went to the cupboard, and guess what? Wasn't much in there. 
But, and I remembered when I took it down, hey, I think this thing's empty. And I think I remembered that. Now, it would have struck me as odd if I put, took that thing down and it would have been full again. I'd have said, whoa. <laughs> Either my wife has been involved here or God did it. Friends, I have never in my lifetime used something to the end and God miraculously put it back in there. But this woman saw that. It happened to her again and again and again. And she knew it, didn't she? It wasn't, it wasn't any doubt in her mind how that happened. There have been things that happened in my life, and I wondered if God did it. Anybody? And there have been some things that happened in my life, and I knew God did it. This woman knew God did it. Just like I've known God did it. And even though she'd witnessed God's miracle time and again, as soon as her son became ill, all of a sudden, she seems to forget who God is and what God can do. Notice what she does here. The young man gets ill, and she doesn't go to God that we know of. She doesn't go to Elijah that we know of. She waits until he stops breathing and then goes to him. Is that shocking to you? I got to believe that this woman, when this young man got extremely ill, pulled this now probably close to a teenager, holds him close and just rocks him, hoping he gets better. Does this resonate with anybody? I'm guessing that's what happened. She comforted him and nurtured him in the best way she knew how and her efforts weren't good enough were they might have worked before but they don't work now i suspect that when he fell down and got hurt she would pick him up and love on him and pretty soon after mom did that it was all okay this time didn't so what does she do? Picks up the boy, goes upstairs, bangs on the door. I know she does. And there's Elijah. What's up? <laughs> and she says, how dare you? Did you come into my house just to remind me of all my sins and then kill my son because of them? Is that what you've done, man of God? At this moment, this woman doesn't like Elijah. She certainly is angry with God. And all she can see is the problem. Leaves the young man with Elijah because he says, give him to me. Stomps downstairs and who knows what's going through her heart and mind now. But I can guess. All of a sudden, the woe is me mindset comes back. The same one she had when Elijah first showed up. And as much as we want to wonder why she acted this way, we should look at our own lives and realize we've done exactly that. Friends, I would say today that either we believe in God, the God we serve, or we don't. 
Either we believe in his promises, we believe in his willingness, we believe in his abilities, or we don't. And when trouble strikes, it seems to me that we communicate with Satan more than we communicate with God. I know he's communicating with us. I know Satan communicates to us. That's where the trouble came from anyway. And even if he didn't bring it about, even if we're the, the cause of it, even, even if it's just a set of circumstances, either way, in the trouble, Satan never wastes an opportunity. Does he? And what's he doing? Oh, oh, only to me, I suppose. He didn't do that to you, huh? Hmm. And so Satan will begin to whisper to us, you know, how, about how God doesn't care or he won't do what we need him to do. Or he'll say, well, you don't deserve it anyway. Because, you know, you, uh, you haven't been a stellar Christian of God anyway. So why would God not going to listen to you? I hear those <laughs> words from the ages, the same ones he used with Eve. Did God really say that? <laughs> hmm. How's it sounding today? Do you think Satan wasn't there with that woman saying the same thing? What's your God going to do now? If God really cared for you, would this be happening? Huh? <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it's just us. Maybe we just assume that, you know, God won't do or doesn't want to all on our own. We're good at talking to ourselves that way. You know, some people can talk themselves into anything. Or out of anything. <laughs> We're going to have to be careful, I think, not to have communication with our problems or with the enemy, don't you think? I think we should always communicate with the Lord. God will always care, and He will always do what's best. Even if you and I don't understand it, and we don't oftentimes. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Now, God tells us, through the prophet Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It wasn't just a saying, it's a de declaration. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. You see, that's a God who knows what he wants us to know. Yet in our humanness, sometimes we, we doubt God's care and concern for us. I've been there. When it isn't God at all. It's just Satan doing his lip service that he's so good at doing. And so what happens then, we start communicating back with Satan after he's already opened the dialogue with us, you know. I knew better than to answer Satan when he spoke to me. What I should have done is said, get behind me, you have no part of me. Bye-bye. Too bad, so sad. You're gone. But no, what do I do? I humor him. And I start talking back to him. And before you know it, we're having a dialogue. And I'm starting to believe what he's saying. And the more he says it, the more I agree with him and start saying it myself. Well, I'm sure that, you know, that person has it in for me. I'm sure that person, blah, blah, blah. I didn't deserve this. This shouldn't happen. I didn't do anything to, for that. I mean, hey. 
I mean, there's no self-protection in us, is there? And then all of a sudden we start communicating with him, and sometimes we don't even know we've begun it. And friends, communication with the problem is always communication with Satan, whether you know it or not. See, I think sometimes we know we communicate with Satan, and sometimes we'll plead the fifth and say, well, I'm just communicating with the problem, and I'm just, I'm just working out my own mind. Well, when you communicate with the problem, you're communicating with Satan. You do know that, right? You see, when we have communication with our problems, the problems can inflate into larger problems than what they actually are. And before you know it, they're you know, bigger than you could ever handle. Not that you'd want to anyway, but that's what happens. And so we begin to remember everything we think we did right and how we don't deserve this treatment from God. And don't tell me nobody in here has ever done that. Well, God, I didn't do it. It's not my fault. My, my Why am I going through this? What did I do? Come on. Sound familiar? Or we'll change gears and say, well, you know, I screwed up a couple times. I don't think. Here's God. It's karma. God's paying me back. No, he's not. And if you think that, get that out of your head right now. Because God does not operate that way. Satan wants you to think he does. But he doesn't. <laughs> Judgment doesn't come for, until God decides it comes. You understand that, right? But what do we think? Somehow we deserve what's happening to us. Right? Huh? I have news for you. If you're saved, you don't deserve what's happening to you. Now, there might be some consequences for your actions. But when God absolves you, He absolves you. Amen? God is not making you pay for what you've done or haven't done. That will come later, if it needs to. You see, friends, sometimes we forget what Christ did for us so that the penalty and the guilt no longer reside in us. Only Jesus can do that. He wiped all that out. And if you start taking that back and start self-punishing, then that's, it could be sinful. If Christ absolved you of it and absolved you of the guilt, why are you taking it back? You see? And if you are, God isn't telling you to do that, but I know who is. Are, are, are we clear on this now? Do you get this? And this is why communication with the right people and with God is so important. Because the right people who are grounded and God is using to help you will remind you of that fact pretty forthwith. And then when that happens, you see, we'll be reminded that God will reserve judgment on judgment. <laughs> 
that we've been forgiven for those things that we've repented of and offered grace. Grace so that the guilt we have carried around so long is no longer there because God's taken it away. And if the guilt returns, it isn't from God. It can't be. There is no, therefore, no condemnation in them who believe. You see, Satan is communicating with us, and friends, we're listening. And when Satan has our ear, who doesn't have it? It's clear, isn't it? You see, you cannot serve God if you don't communicate with him. I know we try, but we do so in our own strength, in our own way, and God doesn't want that. He never did. God has never wanted you to serve him your way, right? In your timing, or the way you want to. I know that because when God said, I want you to become a minister of mine, I said, no, God, not me. You must surely be talking to somebody else, because it isn't me. And here's the thing, even if you do serve God when you're not communicating with him, you won't serve him well, because you don't even know what he wants. And you'll be sure it's this way when God wants it this way, and you'll talk yourself into anything that you want or don't want. Whenever God starts prompting us to do something or not do something, and we're in disagreement with it, <laughs> we look for affirmation that'll that'll skewer itself toward what we actually want anywhere we can get it. Now call me a liar. I know, because I've been there and done that. And I know you have too. But see, God's not concerned with that. He, he wants you to focus on Him and take the right path, do the right thing. He, he, and He'll be patient with you. He'll forgive you. <laughs> he always does. Even if you don't think you deserve it, he always does. And aren't you glad that he knows what he's doing? But friends, you know, I can't tell you how many times my attitude has soured because I wasn't listening to God. Anybody been there? Has your attitude been sour because you weren't listening to God? Huh? And you knew it too, didn't you? And sometimes you knew it, but you wouldn't admit it, and somebody reminded you of it, and you disagree with them, right? No. Well, don't you think your attitude kind of stinks? No, no, I'm fine. <laughs> Friends, let me tell you something. If the pastor comes to talk to you and tells you that your attitude is kind of stinky, it probably is. <laughs> I wouldn't just make it up. I didn't just think it up and do it. Okay? <laughs> has anybody, right? Have you, have, has that ever happened to you where somebody that God prompted to talk to you about your sour attitude, and you immediately said, oh, that's not happening. Hmm? Why would anybody make that up? And so you see, friends, when my attitude soured, I knew that Satan had my ear, and it was pretty difficult for me to hear God's voice and near impossible to serve him when Satan is doing all the talking and I'm doing all the listening. And what I need to do now is close my ears to Satan and then reestablish communication with God. Because he certainly wants to communicate with me. And you never have to 
call God up on the phone or go in your prayer closet or wherever it is or however you do it and wonder if he's going to pick up when you call. God doesn't have a hate button on his cell phone. I think we could probably post that somewhere. Jonathan? Because I know some of you when I call have a hater button. I'm sure of it. And some of you, if you don't have one, it could go either way. It's 50-50. Uh, should I or shouldn't I? Depending on what you think I'm going to say. <laughs> How many of you believe the pastors have a hater button on their phones? <laughs> I knew that was coming. I have never consciously and purposely hater buttoned any of you. I didn't think about it. I said I didn't do it. <laughs> We're human, you know. But in all seriousness, God always answers. He's always available, and he's always there. He will always not only communicate with you, he will want to communicate with you. You never have to worry or wonder if God wants to talk to you. Amen? And here's the thing, and when I do communicate with him, you know what happens? Miraculously, there's this immediate change that happens to my sour attitude. <laughs> Anybody been there before? Now, God may not do what I want, but he will always adjust my attitude so that I have the right one, if I'll let him. And sometimes I just want to continue to feel sorry for myself a little bit longer, right? I'll say, okay, God, just let me revel in this self-pity a little bit longer, and then I'll do it. Am I alone in this? Has anybody else in here been there and done that? Yeah. And so, you know, so it's this God thing that happens, you know. And even if God doesn't do what I want, or if he does do what I don't want, my attitude is changed. It isn't the problem that controls me. It's the spirit of his that lives within me. That is the difference maker, you see. And sometimes, number two, we have to let go. I, I know letting go, listen, when somebody hurts you, it's hard to let go that they've done that because you want to get revenge or you want to feel bad or you want to be angry for a little while longer. Huh? It's difficult to let go, isn't it? Some problems, friends, I found that only God can take care of. Have you figured that out yet? Only God can take care of them. Now, we come to the most challenging thing we struggle with as believers. That's letting go. And I, I, I got to hit this again because, yes, it's letting go. <laughs> you see, we're always trying to hold on to things that we can't fix, but we won't let it go so that the healing can come. We got to let it go. It's like when a child running around and crying because they fell down, scraped their knee, got hurt, and now they see it's bleeding. It's funny how a kid will fall down, and they're not sure if they're hurt or not, and then they see the blood, and oh, my goodness, now they know they're hurt, right? <laughs> Yet I've cut myself and, done, myself and done things, and I didn't even know I was cut until I saw the blood. Has anybody been there? Blood somehow changes everything, doesn't it? I've seen kids crash and burn, and, and they, they get up and look around, Sometimes you got to remind them that they're hurt, then they start crying. I've seen parents, oh, you're hurt. And the kid's like, oh, I am. 
That's a strange phenomenon, isn't it? And so when the hurt comes, you know, and the bleeding, you know, we as parents, we try to calm the child down. And after calming our child down, we say, let me see it. And they're not going to let you see it. Are they? They're going to cover that up. And brother, there's going to be a death grip on it because you are not going to touch it. And God forbid the chrome comes out. Or the Bactine. I was scared to death of Bactine. Anybody in here with me? Nobody knows who, what Bactine is. Come on. And your parents always lied to you and said it won't hurt. Or it won't hurt that much. And you know darn well it's going to sting like the Dickens. And it always did too. Probably more than it actually did. So they pull the hurt part away from you and say, no, no, no. And we think at them and say, oh, you know, come on. But isn't that exactly what we do when we hurt? And God wants to go into the wound and fix it, and we want to go, no. It's almost like we see God as back team. Because you know if God gets a hold of the hurt, it's going to hurt more. At least for a little while. You're not even sure if it's ever going to stop hurting if he does anything with it. Huh? We see no when God says, give it to me. We're trying to protect ourselves just like our kids try to protect their, their wound. And just like the wound that the child won't let us treat so it can get better and heal, we won't let God treat our wounds. And Lord, help us, we have a lot of them. We're always trying to treat them ourselves. We self-medicate. You ever notice that? And the medication we're using isn't working very well. But we're doing it anyway. It's, it's almost like we sort of think we, have, we like our ability to treat it better than we like God's ability to treat it. Now, I'm not alone here. And like the child who knows that the treatment might sting a little, we also know that God dealing with something will probably do the same thing at first. But we have to understand that when he deals with it, only then can we truly be healed from the damage. You know? And I, and I, and I got to come to my point here, let go and what? Let God. I mean, it, 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 you know, that's hard. It's, hard. it's harder to do than it is to say it, you know. And so we see in our story that the widow had to let go and give her son to Elijah. Oh, it had to be hard to do. And she might have done it out of, you know, disdain. Uh, she might have done it because there just wasn't anything else she thought she could do. And maybe she just wanted to be done with it. I don't know. But I found it quite interesting that Elijah makes sure that we know that the woman held her dead son in her arms. She didn't leave him on his deathbed and go up and tell him. Did she? She carried the child to Elijah. We know that because the Bible says he said, give him to me. So she relinquishes the child to Elijah. That had to be hard to do. Especially if you have done this the whole of his life. And he's all you've got. Now, come on. Tell me we haven't done this with ourselves sometimes. Huh? But she knows to hold him like that now won't do a thing. 
that, that time is gone. No matter, no matter time of coddling, cuddling, holding, something's changed. And so now finally she relinquishes him. Instead of relinquishing him to God earlier, she does it now when there's nothing else she can do. Boy, there's a statement in there somewhere. <laughs> and it proves to me that God is showing us that oftentimes growth and healing come in a new or different way. We may not like it, but it does. And it proves to me, friends, that we have to stop trying to fix our situations with our own remedies in our own ways, even the only ways that we seem to understand. And instead, we need to let go and trust God. And if she doesn't let go and allow God to work, would the outcome have been different? I think so. I think so. This woman could have cursed Elijah, thrown him out, taken her son, and had a funeral and a grieving and buried him, and that would have been the end of it. But because she goes to the man of God, regardless of the attitude that she had, she goes there, and the man of God can do something. And I wonder how many times I've buried or hurt and refused to let God deal with it. And that was the end of it. <laughs> and sometimes that thing will come back up and haunt me. Huh? Mm-hmm. You know, friends, <laughs> it comes to our next point and our next lesson Prayer oftentimes takes all of you. You see, we have to pray with all of our being, and I don't know that we do. We now have the greatest opportunity to see the sincerity of Elijah's heart and the intensity, I dare say, of his prayer. How often do we simply recite these two little prayers just to say we prayed or check a box, or maybe we just agree to praying for somebody and then we forget about it and never do it? I've done it, I know. Anybody? I didn't mean to, but I got busy, you know. And priority, before you know it, you didn't do it. And then when God reminds you of it, you think, well, it's been too long now, so what's the point? Have you ever done that? Yeah. So Elijah didn't just use his words, he used his entire body. The way he prayed, anybody watching must have thought that the widow's son was his own. But that only goes to show me how selfless Elijah is. His life proves it anyway. But he had doubts, even sold out to God as he was. He still had doubts. I've seen it. I can tell it. And he, he wasn't really that much different than us in that regard, now was he? And Elijah had less than we do. We have the power of the Holy Spirit given to us by the risen Christ that lives within us, and we ought to know better than he did. But sometimes we just don't, you see. And it brings me to this place that I think maybe Elijah didn't fully understand God either. Because I certainly don't understand everything God does, do you? I don't understand everything God doesn't do. There are going to be a lot of things this side of heaven that I don't understand about God. And if any pastor or layperson says they do, 
<laughs> hmm. You know what else I found? I don't always agree with God. <laughs> Anybody in here really want to say, I have always agreed with God? I doubt it. I'm going to become pretty skeptical if you tell me that. I'm probably not going to believe you. Come on. In our humanness, don't we question sometimes? Don't we wonder why? It's difficult to admit, but I'm sure, friends, that there have been times we've all questioned God. Sometimes we've even gotten angry with God. Anybody? Maybe even felt a little bit of contempt toward Him, as I suspect this woman did. Oh, she directed it toward Elijah, but you know who it really is, right? I, as a pastor, I've seen it. People directed contempt toward me, and I know who it's really toward. So I don't take it personally, usually. And you know, I realize that when we get to that point, it doesn't really matter what we know. Because all we can see, remember last week, can't see the forest for the trees. All we can see is the problem. And I realize that human emotions oftentimes overtake what we know. Don't they? And yet, this is where our faith comes in. We have to remember who God is. And I need you to say that with me. Remember who God is. You see, we can't do that if we really don't know who God is. If you don't know who God is, you can't remember who God is. And you won't remember who God is because you don't know. And the fact is, we can't even know who God is if we've never really surrendered to God in the first place. And stop playing the game if you haven't. Because, friends, no matter how hard you try, you are never going to know who God is if you don't know who God is because you didn't surrender to who God is. Do, do you grasp that? And once we know who God is, we don't wonder anymore what God can do. You see, I don't, I don't struggle with wondering what God can do. My struggle is, will He? Anybody? I don't struggle with what God can do. I know what God can do. I've seen what God can do. I'm no different than this Shunammite woman. I'm no different than Elijah. I know what God can do, but I realize He may not. Huh? But that brings us to another question. Just because we know who God is and what God can do, does it mean God will always do it? See, that's, that's, that's what we're really angry about. That's what we really don't like. Because God ought to do what I ask for, and He ought to do it with no questions asked. Huh? Does that sound even a little bit familiar to anybody? See, that's your doubt. Here's another thought. Do you think God will directly respond in a way that reflects the sincerity of your prayers? 
Say it isn't so. See, we want God to act swiftly with sincerity when we ask, but we're not real sincere in our prayers. Are we? Come on now. And sometimes we are, and God still does, you know, he still doesn't do what we want. I get that. But I, but I think there's a correlation here. I know that there have been times I was kind of blasé. <laughs> yeah? So it brings me to my another, another question. How do we typically pray? How do you typically pray? Is the greater the need, the greater the urgency of your prayer? You see, we're going to have to take note of how Elijah prayed. If we're going to pray, we need to be all in. You want God to be all in, don't you? Why shouldn't you be? Huh? I, I have something else to tell you. Just because you're all in and God doesn't do what you think he should or want him to, doesn't mean he's not all in. He was all in the day he saved you. And he's going to be all in walking with you in this life. And he's going to be all in when he brings you to the next one. And you're going to love that all in. You do know that, right? Don't judge that all in with this one. They're not the same. They're not the same. Don't equate them. We sometimes do, though. And here's the thing. The fact that Elijah didn't stop praying until God moved showed his commitment. Friends, I, I'm not saying we have to stay by the side of an ailing loved one all the time for weeks on end. But there are times that we need to make the sacrifice when we need to God to move in a manner and a way that we know only he can. And don't be disappointed if he doesn't. Elijah was in tune with God, and he knew his purpose. And he didn't quit until the healing came forth. And I have prayed that way for people, with people, and God didn't. And I realized that God had a greater purpose, a different purpose. And maybe my own mind can't understand it, but he had another purpose. And I've seen those people go into the arms of Jesus, and you know what? That's where God wanted them. Remember that God doesn't always do what we've prayed for. Lord, I wish he did. But I'm also in the depth of my understanding glad he doesn't. Because it's in that moment that I realize that God knows more than I do. Even if I can't get it, he does, you see. Again, this out of heaven, I, I, I don't know that we're ever going to understand that. I wish, I wish I had better understanding of that. I've, I've talked to a lot of pastors, a lot of priests, a lot of deep theological thinkers, a lot of people who've done a lot of study, and you know none of us has the answer to that. We all wish we did, but we don't. And the ones that think they do, I don't much listen to. Because there are the mysteries of God than only God understands. The day will come when we do know them. But it might not be today. And I realize that there's many factors surrounding this. 
I remember David praying and humbling himself before the Lord for days. And God did not grant what David asked for. And yet he called David a man after his own heart. Now what do I do with that? I do what David did. I get up, wash myself, dust myself off, and say, he's God. That's what you have to do. Yes, there were circumstances that got David into that situation, but God is still God. And God will move when he decides to move. Because he's God. And so I began to think about that, and I thought, how committed to prayer are we? Will we pray until we think we've prayed enough? Will we pray as hard as we think is necessary? Will we pray with the urgency that we deem as necessary? My question is, do we put limits on the time, the urgency, and the depth of the prayers? I think so. And if, if we're being honest with each other, we know so. Amen? Come on. Now, friends, please. Don't we? Hmm. The other lesson that we can take from this passage is to stay committed to the process. We have the tendency to leave when we think we're finished. Elijah had the spirit of the good Samaritan by not leaving the boy once he began to show signs of life. Elijah stayed with him, even presenting him back to his mother. And I began to think, maybe we need to learn how to stay committed to the process. Because the process doesn't end when the prayers end. You know that, right? God may call you back into the prayer chamber again, and again, and again. Either way, there's more to be done. And I realized at that moment, friends, that the power is God's and not ours. I, uh, anybody get a charge out of the Geico commercials? I get a charge out of the uh, uh, progressive commercials too. Flow. Yeah. Power to the people. <laughs> right? I have to be honest with you. I look at my society and I don't feel very empowered. <laughs> you know? Because with the people have, when the people have the power, it's not necessarily always good. Right? I think we've proven that a time or two, haven't we? Now, I'm not being political here. Don't accuse me. <laughs> but I know that sometimes the people will get exactly what they've asked for. <laughs> and it's in those moments that I realize that God, the power is God's, not mine, not yours. You see, the Bible indicates to me that we are weak and powerful on our own. And the power of the Spirit in me proves it. Anybody? I know how weak I am in my humanness. How many of you know how weak you are in your humanness? And how powerful God's Spirit in you actually really is. You see, even if we aren't this way all the time, eventually, with all the times we live in, we become that.
especially when something big happens and there isn't anything we can do about it. You see, that's when we find out that power is all God's. We don't really know it until then, I think. We know it, but we don't necessarily know it. In this last verse, we see it was all about the widow's faith. Her statements of affirmation show she was struggling with her faith. Her, her actions at the door tell me she was struggling with her faith. The fact that she didn't go to the man of God when the boy was ill in the first place showed me she was struggling with her faith. And when she'd exhausted everything she knew to do, which wasn't nearly enough, and it's beyond anything that could be done anyway, now she goes to the man of God, and she does so with a chip on her shoulder. The same way I go to God with a chip on mine. More times than I can count. But of course, none of you have ever done that. That's my sin, I guess. Right? Can you imagine how many people we come across that are struggling with their faith? I'll bet you there's somebody in this room today or online or at Mecca or aware that's struggling with their faith today. And, th and they've got reasons for it. They could tell you what it is. And maybe they can't. But they're struggling. You see, why you're struggling does not matter. And God doesn't really care why. He just wants to fix it. Always concerned about it, sure. But He would rather fix your faith than have you wallow in it. Because your faith becomes faith in yourself, not Him, when you wallow in it. And unfortunately, whether you want to believe it or not, or even willing to admit it, your faith, when you put it in yourself, is actually in Satan himself. Isn't it? Because remember, what's he doing? And before you know it, you're listening. And when you give him your ear, he will take it. And, you'll, and, and it'll, it'll even sound appetizing because you want to feel that way. And when your attitude is sour, and it's been sour, ain't nobody in here who hasn't had a sour attitude. When your attitude is sour, and you start self-protecting, and you start lashing out because you protect, you protect yourself that way, what you need to do is drop your defenses Stop seeing people and the problem and start seeing here. And then when you do that and you reestablish communication, God will fix that sour attitude just like that. And you'll be like, yeah, 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 Lord, I know. And God will say, well, if you know, what are we doing here then? If you, if you know, then stop lashing out at people, stop being angry with me, and start looking to me for your strength. That's what you do. I will protect you. You don't need to protect yourself. Friends, if you are protecting yourself, then you have not surrendered to Him. And if you have surrendered to Him, you've taken some of that surrender back. Haven't you? Now, haven't you? Now, haven't you? Come on. Sure you have. And we're still sometimes not willing to reason with it, are we? Hmm. 
Sometimes when we come across these people struggling with their faith, we're so consumed with our own life, we never see them or talk to them. We're not available. And here this woman was, all over again. <laughs> she started out this whole thing when we meet her by being ready to die. She'd already resolved herself to that. Then she became so depressed that she wrote her son off to death as well. Didn't she? And that brings me to my last point as our worship team comes. Communicate with God instead of just looking at the problem. I know how big the problem is to you. I don't even have to know what it is. I know how big it is because you make it that big. We all do. That's a human part of ourselves. We make the problem a huge priority and bigger than it probably is. You know why? Because in God's sight, the problem's not that bad. It's not that big. Because His ability to meet and overcome the problem is so far greater than the problem itself we can't see that because, again, the trees are in our way. And yet the forest is before us. This is who we are because we're human. And God's trying to change that. He's trying to get us to still be human, but His on this earth. He's trying to give us a piece of what we're going to have in heaven on this earth. We can be a person of heaven on earth because God gave a piece of Himself by the power of His Spirit to live within us. And it's up to us. Either you're going to accept it or reject it. Or you're going to give him full authority and power. Or you're going to limit what he has in you. I know that because I've done it. And the difference of when God has full control and when he doesn't is night and day. It could even be life and death. <laughs> you see, the problem... is when we communicate with our problems and not Him. And when Elijah began to communicate with the woman, he became a witness for her. This is just like Christ. If we don't change or increase our faith in Christ, everything else that Christ has done for us will have been in vain. You see, everything hinges on our belief and faith in God. And once we have belief and faith, New life is open to us. We have to be committed to our faith and to our service. And if you really want to serve God, communicate with Him. Pray. Spend time with Him. Because you can't otherwise. You can't be the representative of Christ and then leave people to their own ways when things get tough. We have to always show that God is in control, even when we're not so sure ourselves. And even if things don't work out the way we desire, the one thing we must know is that it will always work out for the purposes of God if we're plugged into Him and surrendered. It will always work that way. You know how I know? Because He said so. Over and over and over again. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.